Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary folk, welcome back to another episode of Life in Red Podcast. Lifeinredpodcast.com, at Life in Red Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Life in Red Pod on Twitter. My guest today, uh, you know, I never know going into some of these conversations, especially as I start interviewing people who have a lot of experience, you know, being interviewed and, and with the media on how the conversations are going to go, how, you know, I'm going to be perceived, how my questions will be perceived, because I like to kind of get deeper into into things. Um, and, and, and my guest uh, just blew me out of the water with this conversation. We talked about a whole lot of things. Um, about his work, about his movie, uh, which is called The Market, which is available on uh, Vinny, Vinny, Vinmo, 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 <laughs> Vinmo on demand in Canada and Amazon Prime in the states. Um, he's a playwright. He's a director, producer, uh, an actor, and and we talk about you know things like cancel culture and honesty and uh, the darkness that lives inside our souls. It was really deep and uh, philosophical conversation. I, I, a lot of fun. Um, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So please give it up for my guest, Bobby Del Rio. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, boom. Here we go. Mr. Bobby Del Rio. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me, man. How uh, has the pandemic been for you? I know uh, I was talking with uh, Trish Renoni uh, a couple months ago and the acting yeah. world kind of slowed down in, in Canada. How, how are things have been going in, in, your, in your world? Uh, it's kind of the best and worst of everything for me. Like, Production, I mean, production is still happening, but it kind of depends sort of what you're doing. So I I have a, quite a few projects that um, are on hold. But during the pandemic, I've actually gotten a lot more work. So I have as many as maybe 10 projects wow. um, in development. Yeah, and that wasn't, that wasn't the case at the start of the pandemic. So um, like I got a distribution deal for my feature film, mm -hmm. um, the market during quarantine. Oh, wow. So, well, it's funny because my movie's about, um, like a financial collapse. Like it's basically a conspiracy theory about these dudes who crashed the bond market on purpose and like fuck the world economy. So when the, when the world economy essentially crashed because of COVID, like it sucks for all of us, but also it's kind of good for my film. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, it feel, it's relevant, right? Because I created this movie around the subprime mortgage crisis time. Like right. it was a play originally like 10 years. So um, it's, this is really the worst financial time that we've had since then. So it's just kind of like, you can feel it in your blood now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that was one of the things that I definitely wanted to touch on. Um, I would, you know, doing the prep work. Okay, what, what's he been working on? What, what's his story? I found an interview from 2012 that was like your upcoming project, the market, and I was kind of like, wait a second, oh, like you're, you're, you're like really doing some research. Yeah, so I, you know, oh, I was I'm like, about to get skewered. Okay, here we go. Here <laughs> so we go. Yeah, but um, this, this was quite a long 
process for you to, to from the initial idea to where we are now? Dude, you have no idea. You have no idea. Like, the play I wrote, I think, in 2009, like right after the subprime mortgage crisis. And then we did the play in 2010. And it was my best play. Like, people loved it. And then, um, so I was married and now I'm divorced. Right? Like, that's how much time has <laughs> passed. Oh my God. Uh, you know what I mean? For me to try to make this movie, like, I had a wife when I was like trying to make the movie and now I don't. And it's finally released. Right. And it was funny because it was actually at my bachelor party where it was like my, my cousins and my brother and all my friends and shit. And, and everyone was like, fuck man, I loved the market. That play was so good. That play was so good. That play was so good. And it was, I remember it was that night that I decided I was going to make it into a movie no matter what. And, um, and I, it, I, I remember the, the, there was there was like I was like looking for a sign, and like me and my boys, you know, were like walking around, and then there's this like Toronto, I don't know what the fuck it is, like a weird grocery store or something, and it just said the market in like lit up letters, and we're like walking in slow motion, like on our way to the Rippers, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then the fucking market, and I was like, oh my god, I have to do this, and then dude it's it's like such a slog it's just like like we got it made after you know like for peanuts and we raised money on indiegogo and all these people supported us but then uh, like i didn't know what the hell i was doing right because i'd never directed a film so like the the audio mix was basically screwed up where i had to redo the entire post audio three times which i'm not sure how much you know about making films but very little Dude, that's so much work. It was like months of work. And it was like, cool, that's wrong. Delete, start again. Mm. And it's just, that's sort of the, the metaphor for getting this film made and out there. And it's, it's like anything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. And then yet the movie turned out really good. And it took several more years for us to get distribution. Like no festival in North America screened it. Um, although in India they called it cinematic brilliance. So I was like, what is happening? Right on. Um, and it's like the most politically incorrect movie I think that Kansas ever made. Um, and this is like the worst time to release a politically incorrect movie. Like even my own team was like, I don't know, do you want to release right now? Mm. Cause even though it's relevant, it's like, it's such a sensitive time. But for me, I said, no, I think it's the perfect time because it's such a sensitive time that a politically incorrect movie is exactly what people want. So what was it about it that made, and I mean, I have a ton of questions going off that, that little stream of thought there, but sure. what was it about, like, how politically incorrect was it? Are we talking about the language? Because if you think about where we are today in 2020 versus even where we were, like, last year, not, yeah. like, you know, 2012, 2013, just the way we describe things, the way we talk about, you know, certain things. Like, is it more politically incorrect in that sense? Or is it more about just how we uh, perceive the, the market and, and the economy and how the, the movie was made? Oh, it's politically incorrect in any era <laughs> through the course of history, right? Like, I depicted characters... That, and quite accurately, like, I mean, I've had 50 to 100 people watch either the play or the movie and say, this is exactly right. This is exactly the culture. You've nailed it. You've nailed it. This is exactly where I used to do that. And it's just, it's like unbridled aggression. It's like, 
racist, sexist, homophobic, like every slur. I mean, they even like, they hate the rich, they hate the poor. They hate, like, it's just like really nihilistic sort of disgusting people. And they just, it's just hateful, hateful. It's funny though, because I, you know, these characters are, are very hateful and yet the movie is very moral, right? So I take this like innocent guy who's thrown into this sort of immoral world and, and people think that the movie is, is uh, you know, some people think it's like this disgusting, vile thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm showing that that world is disgusting and vile. And it's actually a morality tale about what are you willing to compromise in order to make it to the top. Right. So what was it about this particular story that, you know, you went through, like you just said it, like these post-production and these three separate audio incidents and I'm sure everything else we didn't talk about. Yeah. Why this story? Why did you need to tell this story? And that's a really good question. Um, I mean, very simply, it was, it was my best work, you know? Um, like I, I've been a pretty successful playwright for almost, tw- I mean, actually over 20 years. Well, 42, you know, I'm wearing this little toque inside now. I think I'm so young, but like, I'm not, I'm 42. Uh, but it was my it was my best play, not in terms of press. Like I had plays that like you know I've got I've had like two documentaries done about me, so I you know I've been interviewed over three hundred times. Like I, I've had a lot of publicity, but that there's something about that play where even though I was largely ignored by the mainstream media, as it's it's funny because that has continued the entire time, even as a movie. Um, but the audience response was by far the best that I've ever had. Like I remember I was walking down the street during our, our theatrical run and a friend of mine, who's actually now one of the top actors in the country. Um, she stopped me and she said, I saw your play yesterday. I loved it. I just emailed every single person in my address book and told them to go. And then she takes out her phone and shows me this email. And I was like, uh, thanks. But like that kept happening for three weeks and so I was like, okay. And I, so it, it was a play, right? Like the idea for it to be a movie came from the audience. Like people kept telling me this has to be a movie. This has to be a movie. Cause it's, it's sort of a, it's like a gangster movie about Wall Street. So I had this idea that um, bond traders were, were the bond traders were kind of like modern day gangsters. And then I said, well, why don't I just like take that genre that kind of like wall street boiler room genre and then elevate it by actually turning them into gangsters and then the market was born it's you know it's funny because i'm actually a really big fan of these types of movies even though like i don't understand really anything about investing or bonds or trades or anything but you know i think about like one of my favorite movies is margin call Mm -hmm. um you know there's um Wolf on Wall Street, of course. You know, you you have Wall Street from back in the eighties. You have the Big Short, like lots of Hollywood adaptions, but they're they're very much kind of uh, sensationalized in a way that it's just like yeah. it's very played up. You know, yeah. do you think a movie like this? And I I know you say the economy, just the way it's crashing, like that resonates. But like. Mm. How do you think like a movie like this like really starts to resonate with an with an audience? Is it more of this just the story in it, or is there something about this elusive place? It's like a mystical Neverland of where all the rich people are and and they're making all the money, and like we're just like kind of like these like peasants like looking up on them. Like, what is it about these types of films that make them so popular? You're a good interviewer, man. Like, you know, <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't I don't always go out of my way to kiss people's asses. 
I'm, I'm pretty much the opposite. Like, like uh, you know, my first play, I think I played Rage Against the Machine. You know, I don't, don't, won't do what you tell me. I won't do what you do. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Like, I just, that's my thing. But, you know, what I like about your style is that you really, you're really thoughtful and philosophical. You really get into it. Um, no one's asked me that, and I've done this for 10 years, this mm. particular project. Um, I think what it is, my, my movie's about darkness right? Like what's really in your fucking soul, right? And it's funny because some, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not like male or female absolutely are going to have a reaction, but generally it skews that younger men love it. And, and it's funny because women generally fall into two camps. There's women who absolutely hate it and think I'm Satan. Mm. And then there's women who absolutely love it. And it's like, you would never ever expect, like it's like very like sometimes quiet, introverted, really like kind women love my movie, swear by my movie. And I'm like, what is that? But I think what it is, is some of the viciousness and the darkness, because it really goes very, very far with what's really inside and your disdain and hate for the world with some of these people. And I think that it's like Carl Jung, right? he had that sort of um, idea, right? Like the, the animus, right? The anima, the animus, the, the, there's that darkness that's part of your soul naturally. It's just like born into you. And I think that this movie really taps into that in a way that I think it differentiates itself from those. And I've watched all those movies. I like mm -hmm. those movies, Barge and Call, and, you know, Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room and, in a way, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross, like it's sort of a genre, but I think what separates my movie is I've elevated it psychologically where we're like really, really in the, the darkness of the souls of these people. And I think that that's, I think people are afraid to go there, but it's so human to have that. It doesn't mean that defines your life, but that exists when all of, within all of us is that real darkness. Yeah. I've noticed actually, um, and uh, you know, as I was saying, like going through the prep and some of your work, and and you you seem to be really fascinated in telling stories about. I don't know if morality is the right word, but you know, mm -hmm. kind of like giving like the like your own little critique of certain elements of our culture and our society, and and like telling these stories in in a different way that I think we all think about. In, in ways, but like you kind of just mentioned that no one really wants to go there because okay. they're taboo. They're, they're, they're maybe tough stories to tell or they're controversial. Like, would you, would you say that's an accurate kind of representation? Dude, you've nailed me. You've nailed me to the cross. Been friends I for it. years. <laughs> I no, dude, honestly, like it feels, it feels amazing to be seen, you know, like when I, I am the most popular and most unpopular person everywhere I go because I do get along with people very naturally. Like I really care about people. Like I'm, I'm very much about like, w like whatever your race, your gender, your sexuality, all these things. It's like, I, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I, I, I love everybody. You know what I mean? But I'm very, very brutally honest and man, like you can make a lot of enemies saying the truth. Like, it's not even that I'm trying to be a dick or anything. I just really see things in a particular way. And I say, like, for example, when Trump lost, which he deserved to lose, 
uh, Biden won. Everybody's celebrating. And I wrote, how long until hashtag Kamala time starts to trend, right? Mm. And it got like five likes or something. And it's, you know, I didn't do, I don't do things to like get a reaction, but there's something about that, right? Where I'm like, try, I'm like pointing out sort of the cynicism of you love him now, but in six months, he's going to do some things wrong and you're going to want to get rid of him. And all of a sudden you're like, well, why don't we have Kamala? And I guarantee you, that's going to happen maybe six months into his, nine months into his ministry. But it's because this is human beings, right? And, and it's so interesting. I'm watching Game of Thrones like we were talking about before the mm. interview. And I think in some ways what, what attracts people to Game of Thrones is what attracts them to the market is that we, there really is this sort of like dark humanity inside of people that causes, I don't know, like some of the things that people have done to each other during the course of history i mean look at look at the holocaust this is this is like less than 100 years ago and there's so many examples during the course of human history where we've done things like that this is even, people yeah even now you look at you know things in uh the china and the uh Ugar people um yep. you have you know myanmar and, and genocide and mass migration like the list like it's every day right you just like you turn on the news you're like oh shit like here's another like human example of absolute catastrophe people don't want to talk about that right and then yet my movie because people swear a lot they're like oh no we can't possibly show this and i'm like do you know how many people are murdered in disgusting ways all around the world every single day and you don't want to show a movie because of racial slurs right and especially when it's like I'm doing it to point out the problems in the world, right? I'm not a Nazi, right? It's like I'm showing like these are the people and it's well-researched. And I went to the fucking University of Toronto and studied economics. So even all of, all of the sort of like economic principles apply. Like I believe, I'm not sure it has happened, but it could happen the exact way that I depict it because it's based on sound fundamental economic principles. This is real. It's a very, very real analysis of our psyches, you know? Yeah. And especially when you get to things like money and big money, I mean, that's where things get really squirrely and like the general public, like we just don't know what, what happens behind these doors when powerful people are playing with big money. You know, you get the stories by like you, John Oliver might do something or I know Hassan Minaj did something like you get kind of these like, outliers in the media who will talk about it but when you talk about mainstream media because i mean if we're getting cynical mainstream media is probably controlled in ways by these people with money making these decisions that like we just never know is it cynical <laughs> i mean wall street's backing biden big time right i mean it's funny because look i think trump deserved to lose but you look at the democrats and that is also a bifurcated party like you have factions within that party you have like you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders, and then there's like Biden and the Clintons, right? And it's like, you, you couldn't be more opposite. Like you, Wall Street was backing Biden instead of Trump. And people, people are like, what? They don't really, like you can't really have that conversation. It's like, mm -hmm. think about that. Like the biggest corporations are backing Joe Biden, not Trump, because they can control Biden. They can't control Trump. Trump just say whatever he wants, it's crazy. He's yeah. unhinged. 
you know, yeah, Biden kind of represents the establishment, which mm-hmm. is, you know, where people, the establishment hated Trump because he would, he would say things, he would do things, he was outspoken, um, and he wouldn't take their money, so he wouldn't offer control, whereas Biden would. And now I was reading some tweets today with AOC, who's getting a fight with another Democrat, as they were talking about abolishing. Shocking. <laughs> and it's kind of like, like, here we go. It's, it's, and it's funny that when you critique Biden, and I, I found this a lot leading to election, that like people would automatically assume it's like, oh, you support Trump. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. I don't like Trump either. But like to say Biden is a perfect candidate, it was kind of like, mm, like that's not, you know, I was Look, happy Biden won because I, I just sure. like what Trump represented, but I still like rep, like recognize the faults in, in Biden and going back to the, the establishment values that, you know, that was which what was why Trump got elected in the first place. People didn't want that anymore. Look, Trump Trump's a disgusting human being, and I think it's good that he's not in charge. But at the same time, you know, the the Kamala Biden thing is interesting because you have Kamala Harris, who fully accused Biden of being a racist, like what a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. And then now, one year later, oh, it's fine. It's Joe. Hey, Joe. And then there's this video. Hey, Joe. We did it. And I just. I just go, what is happening? Because one of two things has happened, okay? Either Kamala Harris was lying about Joe Biden being a racist a year ago for political gain, right? Or Joe Biden is a racist, but now Kamala Harris is willing to overlook the fact that he's a racist because now she can move into a position of power. So... You know, but you can't say, but you can't say, you can't say that because if you say that, then now you love Trump. It's like, no, no, I don't love Trump, right? But I think we have to be brutally honest when we analyze some of these people because they have a lot of power that affects all of our lives. You know, today, so I, I obviously, I do a podcast called Upload um, with these three great guys, and we talk about politics a lot, and it gets very heated. But today, I was like, you know, what we need to do is all of the politicians. And all the people on the media who keep saying, lock it down, lock it down, lock it down, they should have all of their salaries taken away for the duration of the lockdowns so they can empathize with the most vulnerable economic citizens who cannot pay their mortgage, right? Who are like losing their restaurant, losing their business. Not because I I think it's like, yeah, you deserve it too. It's like, you need to understand what these people are going through. Where even though, yes, like, Nobody wants to die. We all want to be safe. We all want to like take care of each other. But at the same time, people are losing their homes. They're losing their businesses. They're, and you have people making decisions who are like, oh, I, I, I empathize with you. I feel bad. I don't want to do it. It's like, no, you don't because you're not going to lose your house, right? If you're making $200,000 a year, right, how do you know what it's like to go month to month when, when it's like you're getting an eviction notice, when you're like, how, how, it's like my line of credit has just gone up to, you know, $90,000. Like, how am I? It's like, they're so disconnected from the people. No, I, I and you know, I had, um, he's a business owner here in Ottawa and through the pandemic, he's, he, uh, he's become like a lobbyist slash like person who meets with MPs and stuff to, to advocate for business. And it's, it's funny that you bring that up. Cause I'm kind of, I'm on the exact same lines as you are. Like, I'm not anti-lockdown but i'm like i want to be pragmatic about it like if you're gonna lock down you need to pay for everybody so they don't lose their business that insurance covers them in case of things and 
you have, it, it, it's just funny. It goes back to like this whole conversation we're having is like, there's things that are true and that we should be able to talk about, but we can't because there's a certain, and whether it's a, a political left or a political right kind of trying to silence that conversation, they don't want you to talk about it. And if you talk about it, they'll either, I mean, cancel culture or they will label you something or they will like miss, miss, like misquote you or take you out of context or, or say you're saying one thing and then everyone kind of piles on. You're like, ah, no, like that's not what I meant. Somebody already tried to cancel me for this movie. Right. (laughs) They they didn't even watch the movie. They like, so there's a scene where when the character drops the N bomb, um, there's a lot of slurs in this movie. Right. And, um, and so they take, this clip out of context and they basically try to pretend that I'm the new Hitler, right? Even though I have two decades of fighting for people of color, like I'm an award-winning political activist who's run an anti-racism organization since 2003, right? But the idea is that you have to depict the evil in order to correct it. But this, this person didn't even watch my movie, but goes, violates my copyright, right? Takes this scene, says out of context, and then basically tells everybody, I'm a, that Bobby W is a racist and I, I don't know, I guess what you string me up and kill me. I, I, I have no idea what the goal is there. Um, and, and then admitted did not even watch the movie. Just watch this one scene. And, and I'm like, do you think that this is giving you credibility? This is our world now. And it's fine. Like you just said it like based on one scene from a movie they didn't even watch taken out of context like tries to paint you as something where you just said it like you've been like a award-winning like you've anti-racism like activist for years you've done so much good but just from this one thing they're trying to label you as something else and i think that happens with with podcasting you know i think about the things that like I want to talk about, but maybe can't say, or if I do talk about it, I'm like, Ooh, like, I hope that doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. Whereas like, I'm a mental health advocate, you know, I've, I've won awards and all the same type of thing. And it's like, it's interesting that we can't talk about these things, but I'm but really we can. curious. We can, but we people can. don't because they're afraid of the consequences, but I always tell the truth. Always. And it's funny because I've been called a controversial writer my entire career and I've never tried to be controversial. I've just tried to be honest. So, I mean, obviously it seems pretty clear, but I'll ask the question anyway. Uh-huh. You don't really worry about like being canceled or, or potential fallouts on some of your work no. or your career? Like that, that stuff doesn't really... I kind of want to be canceled, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think it would be fun. I, I kind of want to see what's that. I can't like if you think about it. Like how many people have really been canceled? Like what a what an interesting experience. Um, did you know Gian Gomeshi? Oh yeah. So CBC, yeah. I, I used yeah I used to know him socially. Uh, I wouldn't say we were friends, but you know we were sort of acquaintances. But I, I I randomly saw him at a theater like a year ago, just very random. And 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 I looked at him, and he knew that I, who. I don't think he, we knew each other enough that he would be like, oh, hey, Bobby. But he was like, uh-oh, how do I know this guy? And, and it was like this moment of recognition where I was like, I know who you are. And, he, and the look of terror in his eyes. And I was like, 
fuck, man, like, what must this guy's world be? This was in Toronto, right? So, and everyone knows him and stuff. Like, he must, he must just go around, like, he must, like, go to the grocery store to buy fucking tomato sauce for the night. And someone's like, you son of a bitch. And it's like, he's going through life in this really, really weird headspace, which, look, he deserves, but I also think is sort of interesting, right? It's like, how many people are getting this, this sort of perspective of, of having the scarlet letter, you know? Yeah. I've always believed in like a path to redemption. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, given what the, what the cause is, but that's an interesting name that you brought. Like I haven't thought about him in, I mean, since what was that? 2015, 2014, if not earlier. I don't even know. It's, but you're right. It's, I just, I find it fascinating. And I, when I start talking to, you know, higher profile people like yourself and actors, that, that is something that really fascinates me on how they deal with being outspoken. Do you think it's an element of just being involved with art, like, you know, telling stories through plays or movies that you're able to explore these ideas in a more, I don't know what the word is, but like just a more safe setting because you're you're basically putting your thoughts but you're telling it through a story of like other people and all these other things i'm going to say something now which you know anyone who's watching this a lot of people are probably going to hate me but it's very true i think most people are cowards um i think most people are terrified of the consequences and for me i've always lived by the idea that the truth will set you free right and you know I never get in trouble. Like, even though people are like, oh, you tried to cancel oh, all, these, all kinds of things. Like, people get jealous or they don't like me. Or one time I said something to their girlfriend at a party. You know, who knows? People have all reasons for whatever. But, you know, I think what always vindicates me is that I'm always honest. I'm just always honest. So it's like, ladies, if, if you want to ask me if you look fat in those jeans, like, I'm going to tell you, like, maybe hit the Stairmaster. You know what I mean? But so people want you to be honest and then you tell them the truth and they get very, very angry at you. But ultimately, I don't think you can really get in trouble if you're honest, if your heart's in the right place. Like if you're an honest Nazi, I think you're in trouble. You know what I mean? But I think to, to make true observations about the nature of capitalism, um, you know, about, you know, it's funny, like with cancel culture, the psychological analysis of the average person who participates in cancel culture is narcissism, right? So we're in this, we're in this social media culture that breeds narcissism. Where it's like, look at me, look at me, like me, like me, like me. And then it's basically a bunch of narcissists get together and then in their mind, they have the power to destroy their lives. And that's what cancel culture is. Yeah. It, that's the one it, the, it gives the kind of, in ways, which is a good thing, it gives the voiceless a voice and gives them power to tell their stories. But you're right that really they're not doing it for any other cause than, hey, look at me being a good person. Right. I'm, I'm like a vigilante. I'm the hero, like taking yeah. this bad guy down. Yeah, and I think, and I don't, and again, we're just having an interesting conversation, but, you know, it's funny because you'll see people, you know, I'm a big sports guy. Um, and I remember like, um, was it, do you know, do you follow baseball? Do you know Josh Hader? Uh, no. Speaking of haters, but Josh Hader, <laughs> anyway, he was like a early 20 something. It was very interesting because he made it to the all-star game 
He's a reliever, and then it, and it would, it's it's this happens all the time though, right? He finally makes it to the All Star. He starts to pitch or something, you know. It's like it's like they announce him, and all of a sudden, somebody released tweets that he wrote ten years ago where he had quoted rap lyrics and said some bad things. But he's he wasn't really saying like he was literally just quoting albums. But all these people went after him. But what what I found fascinating, they did it to Kevin Hart. They do it to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like they wait until you finally succeed. So you're, you're finally at the sort of like pinnacle of attention and then they try and destroy you, right? So that's what I'm waiting for. I'm just, I'm just not afraid. I grew up in a tough area. You know what I mean? I don't care. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? Nothing, right? It's like I'm, I'm waiting to get big enough that people will try to destroy me. And then I was like, well, the guy tried to cancel me a couple weeks ago. So maybe I've made it. I've arrived. That's what they say, right? You don't make it until somebody hates you. And then that's, that's the sign of success. Dude, can you imagine? He like, he put hours into like taking a clip from my movie, took it out of context, put it into this sort of clickable file where anybody could click. And well, I was like, man, I should hire this guy as an editor. Jeez. Yeah. I always say, how do you have the time to go back to 2008 to find this tweet? Like I, like, do you imagine if you put that energy into, you know, trying Anything to help positive? cancer or, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Like helping starving kids. Like why is it trying to bring this person down? Whereas you're devoting obviously so much time, passion and energy I, I will never understand it. I barely have time to like answer emails some days. So in my, in my career, um, it's peaks and valleys, right? The entertainment industry is project-based. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not every project can be as successful as other projects. I've had pretty good careers and pretty consistent. But, you know, some years are better than others. But it's, it's interesting because the times where sort of empirically I've had the most attention. I wouldn't say success. Success is subjective. But attention that's when people have attacked me viciously. Like when I first started and I was 23, I had, a, I had a documentary done about me on Bravo that aired across Canada. Okay. I was 23 years old. I had camera crews following me around in university. I was like, like the fucking Kim Kardashian of Toronto playwrights. You know what I mean? And I remember as soon as it was released, somebody emailed, somebody created a Hotmail account. This is how long ago one. And they were like, I hate Bobby Del Rio at Hotmail.com. And they started abusing me over email. And that was one of the first times um, anyone thought, I think, to do that. Like, I was one of the first people in Canada to have a website as an artist. This is how long ago this was. This was like around 2000, something like that. And then I, I went to TIFF as the star of a short film. It's just a short film, but I was the star. And it's actually with um, Paulie and Gene Yu, and who are the stars of Kim's Convenience now. Mm. So we were, well, all went to TIFF in 2009. Writer-director Mio Edelman, a little film called Unlocked. And... It, you know, it's really hard to get into TIFF. So I'm in TIFF. And even though it's a short, I got a lot of press and CBC wrote this thing about me. All this stuff was happening. And then I started getting viciously uh, bullied online. But, and then I ended up finding out that it was this guy that I knew that I went to school with many, many years ago who had been creating a series of haters to abuse me online. Right. And then I guess the third time when I, and so, cause so this guy two weeks ago, I think he, four weeks i don't remember how long it was it was within the last month he fully tried to like end my career that was the goal and i was like that was the kill shot but it didn't work because you're not going to depict me as a racist when i've been one of the faces of anti-racism for two decades in canada 
right? Like I, I've done a lot of activism specifically to help people of color volunteer, not for a dollar. But the fact that you tried to end my whole career by taking a clip out of context, but this is what happens, right? So every time I have a sort of significant success and I, you know, I, I work hard and I've had a lot of successes, man, like you'd be amazed how fucking brutal people treat you. They're not happy. And so every time something starts to happen for me, that's good. I'm waiting for that bad thing to happen. Which is so, you know, in a way demoralizing, you know, I, like, I don't know how your headspace is and how you deal with that type of stuff, but to be like, you know, you get some good news. Like you're like, Oh my God, my film just got picked up. This is great. And then just be like, Oh, but shit. Now I'm going to get the tweets are going to roll in. And uh, like, oh, now yeah. I'm not going to be like, that's no dude. The first thing, anytime some, and I have like, I, I can't say all these things, but I have projects with celebrities and you know, Hollywood and shit. Like I have stuff that may happen any minute. It may not, but it's, it's close and we'll see. It's hard to say. Right. Mm -hmm. But, the immediate thought that I have is not, oh, well, this might be unpleasant. It's fucking terror, right? Because I go, oh, no. And that's why I'm not shocked, right? It's like I finally get to, and I've gone through hell to get this feature film made and released. And I got a small distribution deal by, you know, a company that believes in me. Um, and then, of course, someone tries to end my career, right? And I have bigger projects that could happen. And I go, man, like I have to literally think, am I going to get, I don't know, beaten, robbed, like what, what, what else can happen? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's very real. Like I, so I worked with Drake um, two years before he got world famous. Got that in my right. notes. <laughs> um, and he's a great guy. Um, he's such a hard worker. And I remember hearing, and I haven't really talked to him um, since then. I hope to see him again. He's, he's a great guy. Um, but I will say I heard a story from a mutual friend private private right um but basically and it for him it was the moment everything changed for drake is that he started to get famous and then he was walking down the street just by himself he's just a dude right he was drake was very very chill right um and somebody robbed the chain off his neck right um and you go and then that's when he started getting bodyguards so my brother and him they played leads in this short film called sven like 15 years ago so my brother ran into aubrey's his real name because aubrey at the raptors game like maybe four or five years ago and as soon as he said that because they, they were like super tight right and then eight bouncers got mm -hmm. up to defend drake right eight of them and then aubrey's like no no it's cool and he gives my brother a hug and you know it's all good right but you're like, man, like this guy's got so much protection around him. But of course he does because I, like literally someone's telling me like somebody rolled up on him on purpose because he was blowing up and like punked him off. Can you imagine like ripping a chain off your neck? Mm. But I, I'm telling you, the more, the more attention I get, the more hate I get, man. It's like, there's, I get love and I have like amazing people that I work with. Um, but you get, you'd be amazed who comes for you, man. Yeah, it's, it's scary. And I can only, you know, imagine, you know, you're kind of describing how bad it is for you. But like, even thinking of like a famous woman, someone who makes it big like that, how, how much worse, you know, it's just, it, it is, it's a, it's a sick society. And uh, like, I know you did um, social IRL and, and kind of depicted some of these, these things in it, but social media has just made us 
I don't know if it made it worse or this was always around, but like I just, I watch the way we interact and I can't fathom how people communicate in some of these ways. I try to elevate the conversation. Like I have a firm no attack policy on my Facebook. Um, like, I, you know, sometimes I have conversations and debates and those are cool, but no, no abusing me or other people. And it's, it, and I think that we can be reconditioned to treat people with respect, but you have to work with, you know, and cause so I'm constantly saying things on my Facebook and please add me on Facebook, man. Um, but I'm always just like, Hey, like if you're white or you're black or you're a man or a woman or trans or whatever, right? We're all the same, right? Like, let's all come together for humanity, this kind of thing. And then some people will be like, yeah, except for the conservatives, they're pieces of shit. And I'll be like, no, not all conservatives are pieces of shit, right? Because it's like, I know people from every walk of life and some of them are amazing. And I think as soon as we start to judge people based on what we think they're going to be like because they're, I don't know, white or black or a man or a woman or all these things, right? Like you're fucked, man. It's like, we have to see each other as human beings and take the time to get to know individual personalities. I, I, uh, there's a podcast or a doc. I don't remember what I, I was watching or listening to something, but it was just based. What they said was we walk into every situation now, whether that's we read an article or we, we watch something or we talk to somebody with like a preconceived notion about them. Like we have some mm-hmm. sort of, we don't just walk in with a blank slate. We walk in I, and I, I see you immediately. I see you wearing a hat. I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, Bobby is X or I bet he thinks X, right? right. Like, oh, he voted conservative. I bet he is anti-X or, right. you know, whatever. We, we just have all these uh, preconceived notions. And I go, I grapple with the question a lot. I'm like, is life and humans more simple than we make it out to be or are we more complex? I think, I don't know. I, I, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I think that your, your question is the answer, right? I, I, I think that we're, we're both simple and complex, right? And this is humanity, right? So that's why I, I just, you know, love my movie or hate my movie. You know, it doesn't matter to me, right? It's kind of like I make my art and, you know, I, I don't need your validation you know what i mean like I, I i i'm here to express you know my opinions and my views and you know and also it's like i i look at a film as as a team effort you know what i mean it's it's like like a lot of people put their time like my fucking brother man he, like he he edited my movie for free and you know like he put in six months to a year of his time to do that you know what i mean like i really respect the people who have worked on my project um but I don't know, man. It's like people, they just, it's like, they're just looking for a reason to, to take you down, to hurt you. But what's funny is that's, that's really the point of my movie, right? Is that Mm. it's so funny to me how some of the richest people in the world are the most fucked up. Like look at Jeffrey Epstein, man. I mean, that guy just had anything you could want. He had so, and, and yet look at the disgusting things he did. And I think that's, that's what it is to be human. Good point. Yeah. And, you know, they say as you, you get richer, you, you become more corrupt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't see a lot of benevolent billionaires. Like there, there are a few, of course, but I think there are some shady things that happen. And I, like you just you don't get that rich without 
I think some shady deals or, or weird criminal so. activity, you know. Why do you even want to be that rich? You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, I guess for me, you know, and I went to school for economics, right? So mm. I, I could just be rich, you know what I mean? Like I could be one of those bond traders, you know? Like I'm, I was like a math prodigy and I had the training and I just never wanted to do that. Like I just wanted to make art. Um, but, you know, for me, I just want to make my art, man. I don't want to, you know, if I was to get rich or something like that, cool. But I, the people I know who are rich, and I do know some, a lot of them have, like, done some evil shit to get there. And there's a certain personality where you just, it's like you need to dominate, you need to control, you need to, you need to gain power and then wield it over others. And I think that's what money is. Because if you're just cool, I think you spread it around, you know what I mean? Yeah, I love, and you know that's why the world needs artists and and people who do this. And and I know like when people with money try to take away and like you know cut art funding and cut all that stuff, but to have people who are willing to like yourself who who tell these stories, who really bring out what it means to be human and the humanity on and good and bad, like those are important things for us to understand and examine and to talk about because we're so fundamentally flawed. Like it, it's, we need to acknowledge it and, and see how we can get better, how we can adapt. This is it. And this is the, and this is the thing with the language. I got some, I, you know, I've walked away from a few different distribution deals and, you know, like I, I was, I had a soft development deal to make the movie for a million dollars. And like, there's all, all kinds of amazing things could have happened that I walked away from and did it my, and I just made the movie myself with peanuts but I was like, I'm not compromising on this because this is how they speak. This is, this is the words they use. I was like, I had 50 to 100 people tell me this is exactly right. I'm not saying these words because it's like, I like to say these words. I actually hate to say these words, but they say these words. So, and it's funny because if you watch Margin Call and Wolf of Wall Street, I actually think that they're watered down because they don't want the language to be too vicious because it would probably put people off. But the way that those characters speak in real life is very, very disgusting. And you, if, you, if you clean it up, right, and sometimes they glamorize it, right, and everything's about the girls and the cars and all this fucking bullshit, it's like you're actually missing what's really happening here is you have people who are so fucked up, they're willing to use that power to destroy large sections of humanity. That's what is really happening. Yeah. And then governments will come and bail them out and uh, we start right. to cycle over again. <laughs> right. And they planned and they, they factored that in. Oh God. Really is that corrupt, eh? Fuck. <laughs> Dude, well, look at what's happening with the lockdowns. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not like some, like, hey man, like, you know, I'm not going to protest or anything, but I'm just here going like, you essentially have rich people deciding the lives of poor people. Right. That's what's happening. And it's like, none of those people are affected. None of the people who are making the decisions over people who are losing their businesses are people who are also losing their businesses. They're not, they're not like, oh, like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my mortgage next month. But guys, if we don't do this, we're going to die. Oh, really? How come it's like, oh, we'll just keep Walmart open. We'll just keep schools open. We'll just keep the banks open. We'll just keep you know, whatever, certain things open. But, oh, if you're a small little restaurant or something, no, there's no way you can't open. There's no way. There's no, like, it's, it's like, it's not consistent 
And I think it's because the people making the decisions are not affected. Their lives are not changed. So they can, they can, they can have the moral position, right? They get to be virtuous while also benefiting from the system. Yeah. It's a really good point. They still get their bonuses and everything's hunky dory. And yeah, that's right. They'll probably get more money. They'll probably get more money for destroying other people's lives economically because they can make the case that they did it for the public good. Even when you have the public saying, yeah, well, stop telling me what's good for me. What about me? I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent next month. I'm like, well, I empathize with you, but it's really needed. Right. And then you're surprised that people take to the streets. We're all in this together, Bobby. Don't you know? <laughs> right. Look, man, I'm a libertarian, man. I'm nonpartisan. And I, because I studied economics, I've had a defensive financial strategy my whole life. I live debt free. I save my cash. I'm always waiting for the shit to go down. So when COVID hit, I was kind of already ready. You know what I mean? So mm. in, in a way, it's good. Like I, I'm kind of doing all right. And I've got a movie and it's released. But I, I definitely feel like guilt, man, because, you know, like it's not like I'm making so much dough, but my career is going really, really well. Um, even during COVID, but fuck man, I have so many friends and, and just like people I care about who are really, really scared and have legitimate reasons to be scared. And I just can't shut the fuck up about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. I, I feel the same way. Cause I, being in Ottawa, I have a lot of friends who work in government and they're not at risk at all. But then I, you know, I work in media um and radio so like i i see how businesses are are, are failing i see pe- my friends just you know not too far out of school you know i'm in my late 20s but just seeing the the struggle because they were working freelance and precarious work and a bunch of different jobs trying to make ends meet yeah you just you see how all the fundamental flaws in our society and ec- economy have been exposed and uh yeah you have everyone just lock it up it's fine just lock it up it's like a you don't see, like you wake up, get out of the bubble, go, go talk to somebody. And, and I'm not see saying it's easy. You know what I mean? I'm not, I, like, I, I don't envy that position that they're in oh, because sure, I, yeah. you definitely, you know, like public safety versus, you know, sort of economic, it's not even prosperity. It's like, we're talking about economic survival. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just think they don't, I just think it's in a way it's not their fault, but it's like, they just don't actually understand it's viscerally what people are going through, right? So if you don't feel that fear over how am I going to pay the rent next month, then, then how can you make a decision that's going to like be good for the people who are the most vulnerable? Yeah, it goes to the fact like we've never solved homelessness or we've never solved, you know, racial inequities when getting houses and, and you know, landlord dispute. Like we've had all these problems this whole time. And uh, so we've never done anything. So when I was when I was twenty five, right? And this is an example of how I just always get in trouble by saying the truth. But I remember <laughs> there was a there was a film festival, and it was like all these people who were like in he- the heads of their diversity committees for the biggest Canadian television broadcast corporations, right? And they were all on the same stage. And it was um it was Karen King, who's a black executive, who's a friend of mine, who's sort of a pioneer um for for black women and people of color in the industry. And then the heads of every other organization were all white. And they were the heads of, of the multicultural divisions, right? And then everyone's saying their things, everyone's saying polite, and it's kind of like a, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a charity event, like 
polite golf clap kind of shit, right? And then I go to the mic because you could ask questions. And I go, hey, like, it's great that you guys are here. And hey, Karen, how you doing? And I think it's cool that you're here to have this conversation. But it's not lost on me that every single person in the room here is not white. But every person running these committees is white. Can you speak to that? Right? And then Karen was like, oh. And then, and then right away, there's four people I remember. Two of them got really, really sad and, went, and they hung their heads in shame. And then two of them got very, very angry. And then they just start, and started yelling, how dare you make this assumption? And they freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. And I was asking just an honest question. And then whatever, the thing ended. And I don't know, man, maybe, I don't know how many people. I, in my mind, it's like 50. I keep saying 50. But it was like a lot of people thanked me for asking that question mm -hmm. privately. Because nobody was willing to call out the elephant in the room. And that, this is what happens, man. It's like you have people who are given positions of power who are so disconnected from the people they have power over that creates all the problems. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think that's a great way to wrap up, Quinn, and leaves a lot of uh, questions. But one of my, the most exciting times about now, about you know the pandemic, about the racial conversations, about all this, is this is where... I get excited about what the artists are going to do, whether it's in music, mm -hmm. whether it's in visual, whether it's in movies and the playwrights. Like this is the time where we're going to get some good shit. <laughs> oh yeah. It's going to be dope. To tell. I'm excited. Thank um, you for the interview, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Where, so it's available. I know on Amazon. Uh, so in Canada, we're on Vimeo on demand. And then in the United States and the UK, we're on Amazon prime. I think it's on Vimeo on, on demand there as well. But most people, UK and US, are watching on Amazon Prime. I think in Canada, too, you can rent it on Prime. I was clicked a link and it said you can oh, rent okay. it. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I should know these things. But like, again, I'm so disconnected from my own movie. Um, and do you have, uh, I mean, we can Google you, but do you have any social media or anything? Any upcoming projects? Uh, uh, I have a ton of upcoming projects. Uh, most notably, I've co-written a web series called The Cult with Megan Larson, 22-year-old prodigy. Uh, and it's very, it's this sort of subversive comedy where we really call out hypocrisy um, in the industry with race and gender. It's going to be hilarious, but also very biting. Um, that's the next project that I'm going to do. Um, but my social media on Twitter, I'm at, at Bobman. On Instagram, I'm at Bobby Del Rio. On Facebook, just it's my name, add me. I approve everyone, which gets me in a never ending series of dramas, but. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. This was a really fun conversation and uh, best of luck in the future. I look forward to seeing your work. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole